Good evening, friends. On behalf of the Mothers International School, it is indeed my pleasure and privilege to accord a warm welcome to our Lokbhai and to everyone who has joined in today to the seventh in the virtual talk series. Alok Bhai actually never required any introduction. And now, after almost three months of such meaningful and insightful discourses and interactions with him, we have truly started feeling like a family. The pandemic has taught us some significant lessons and given us some progressive moments to cherish and realize. Getting a chance to listen to Alok Bhai has been one of them. Today's topic is a universally relevant one for all seekers, believers, and disciples. It is the power of prayer. When we pray, we are grateful and humble. When we pray, we are silent and sincere. And when we pray, we seek, we ask, we trust, and we surrender. We have read and heard that prayer changes things. The mother has said, all sincere prayers are granted. Every call is answered. Can there be a greater reassurance than this? Tell us more about this miracle called prayer. Over to you, Alok Bhai. Namaste. <clears throat> Let me start with this wonderful lines from Savitri. A prayer, a master act, a king idea can link man's strength to transcendent force. Then miracle is made a common rule. So what really is prayer? But even before that we have to slightly dwell upon the conceptions of the divine. Because there are conceptions of the divine in which there is no scope of prayer. For example, there is a conception of the divine that he is just an eternal witness who has nothing to do with the business of the world. He is there, silent, motionless, ineffable, occult cause of all things, but untouched, unmoved with anything that is happening in creation. And the creation is explained purely by, the, uh, by, by some kind of a mysterious maya which has somehow entered the play and created this play. In such a conception of the divine, all prayers are only, rel only relative prayers. They may be answered by the gods or goddesses or beings of higher worlds, but there is nothing like an ultimate prayer which goes to the divine or comes back from him. So this is one conception of divine reality. There is another conception of the divine reality which is more impersonal, that yes, indeed the divine is there who answers the prayers. But his answer to the prayers is largely like a mechanical response. It's like you put into computer something and out comes whatever you have prayed for or asked for. In common parlance, this is called, you know, uh, it's very prevalent as mannat mangna. We ask and we get what we ask. If this be so, as many would believe, then in that case, the divine is not a wise, omniscient, omnipotent someone, but he is someone who is at the mercy of our own uh, wishes and fancies and caprices. And if that be the case, then obviously prayer has no meaning because prayer is addressed not just to an omnipotent reality, but an omniscient reality. And it is true, when we really touch upon those heights, that this omniscient reality has already foreseen in its wisdom all that is going to eventually happen. It has even carved out the steps through which each journey would take place. Each experience on the path has been mapped out. In which case the question arises, does, do prayer actually mean something at all? So herein comes Shurabindo's uh, very beautiful revelation. That yes, there is, an imp there is, uh, there is this uh, vast universal divinity, divine who has mapped out the things and then there is the transcendent from whom the universal draws its breath and this transcendent has already decided, it's the supreme will which will have its last word and the last say. But 
The difference is that it is not a mechanical impersonal reality. It loves to relate with the world. It's part of the plan, part of the process. It has created that while the eventual truth is already the eventual event, the grand event that is going to happen is already there which is decided and nothing can swerve us away from that. However far we may go, we are going to get back to that like a, you know, that uh, Sudarshan Chakra that it goes and then it comes back. But what prayer can do, it can change a certain course, it can mitigate the process through which we are being led. Let's take an example that a person has to, it has been decided by the divine that from Delhi we have to come to Pondicherry. This, this is a will which is operating. Now we may delay the process or we may take a flight, we may take a train. In the journey there may be many unexpected things, each feeding us so that we are prepared to reach at the feet of the divine. In that process, the coming to Pondicherry to have a darshan is something fixed. But the process, the journey, its experiences, that's where there is a place and scope of the human will. So essentially prayer means that is there a role of human beings at all in this great journey? Or are we just mechanical automatons who are being led or driven through all kinds of experiences towards the divine? So basically it's a question also of the degree of free will, whether there is a role of free will and the absolute freedom. So uh, the determinism, the final fate which has already been foreseen and decided. So this is the actual question which it resolves itself into that. Because prayer is one form that the human will takes in its relation to the divine. If you really look at prayer, what is it really? That I wish something, I want something to happen. So it's a form that our will has taken. When we are struggling with the ignorance, when we think that satisfaction of our desires and everyday issues of life is the most important thing, then this will takes the form of desire. Desire itself is nothing else but that will which has taken this form where it is looking for objects of ignorance. But as we get disinherited desire, as we get rid of these desires more and more or the, by experience we learn that this is not which is the ultimate thing. So as we grow in consciousness, then we realize that the will in us originally is for something else and we start seeking that. Let's take an example. So every human being as he grows up, we are taught that, you know, your minimum requirement is roti kapda makan, phir saath mein dukan, car, ghoda gadi, is a... Now, what is behind it? Behind it is the will for power, the will for knowledge, the will for joy, the will for love, let's take a relationship, what are we really looking for? The joy of love. So, but it is taking the form of desire, meaning thereby if I have this object or that object, I'll find the joy of love. If I have this object, I'll be happy. If I do this course, I will be knowledgeable. If I have this kind of position in society, I'll be powerful. So desire is nothing else but the will which is operating in ignorance and hence it doesn't know that all that we are seeking, the source of it lies within us. That's what yoga teaches us. So that's one of the differences between yoga and religion. So in desire when we are struggling and we pray for something like an object of desire, so does the divine grant it? Well, because the question arises because if desire or satisfaction of desire is not the goal of human life, but that which is hidden behind, why should the divine grant an object of desire at all? So this question was asked to Shirobindo and he says this very beautifully in the synthesis also. He says that yes, when we desire something from the divine, the divine grants it to us. Why? For two reasons. One is that when he, we ask him things and he grants to us, one day we, this idea may click into our mind or this faith may grow into our heart that who is this person who is granting me everything? Let me meet him. Let me ask him for his own sake. So this is one reason that when we start loving those uh, desires which are being granted by the divine, at one point we start loving the divine himself who is the giver of all boons. And the second reason sometimes, because it is the experience of life that sometimes we desire something and we get it. And when we get it, we lose the objective for which we were desiring it. Somebody is desiring that, you know, we have this famous story of 
Midas touch where somebody desired that whatever I touch, it should become gold. And this man comes back and his wish is granted. So he's touching everything, it is turning into gold and he's very happy, very happy till suddenly in that um, state of utter happiness, he embraces his daughter and she becomes a gold statue. And he realizes that even he can't eat anything because whatever it touches turns into gold. So essentially the second reason why certain desires, certain prayers are granted and we must be very, very careful about it. That's why it's so important what we ask for from the divine. The divine may grant us, but it is only so that we learn by experience and profit by failure and fall. We get the thing we desire for, but we lose the thing for which we were desiring the object. So always when a prayer is granted, it doesn't necessarily mean that the divine will is completely in resonance with whatever we are asking for or rather that our desire is in complete resonance with the divine will. It may not be. It may be playing at cross purposes. But the beauty of the divine is that he plays this game based on the rules that we set for him. The last shot is of course always his. So we set the rule that you give me what I desire and the divine says, okay, I'll give you what you desire. So sometimes it takes a lifetime to understand that, oh, we asked him for these things. Whereas there was something much greater waiting for us. I'll give an example of uh, rather two stories, short stories, real stories. One of course we know, uh, or rather I wouldn't take the name, everybody knows him, but he was sharing with me this beautiful uh, reminiscence of him. And he was telling me that, uh, you know, we used to meet the mother and uh, we would ask many things. So he even asked once, you know, that his senior person who was a principal in the uh, or the main uh, head in the uh, college and uh, they couldn't gel with each other and he said that either make him go away or make me go away. <laughs> he was sharing this and he prayed to the mother and he said it so happened that the principal was, uh, that head person was transferred. He said like that we were asking things, we were asking for things like you know my child's issues, my wife's issues, he says all my life and then he realized and he was sharing with me with uh, you know great agony that uh, you know we lost an opportunity because she could give us the very highest of highest much later in his life he got a uh, you know wonderful vision where the divine mother offered to him two choices liberation or transformation and he chose the path of transformation but she could grant anything so this is one opportunity the, this is one thing to remember that what we are praying for we must be very conscious because when a prayer is granted it doesn't necessarily mean that the divine has is in sync with whatever we are wishing it may very well be that a prayer is rejected because the divine loves us there is a beautiful line in savitri heavens wiser love rejects the mortal's prayer so that's where complete surrender and trust comes in that even when my prayer is rejected, it means that the, the divine loves me so much and he knows that I have complete trust. The, the person has complete trust and surrender on me and he will not serve from the path even when the prayer is not granted. So this was one story. And the second story which is again so beautiful is of Amrita. On his birthday, the divine mother asked him that, Amrita, ask whatever you want to ask. So Amrita is sitting, he doesn't know, he is sitting quiet and then again mother asked, ask Amrita anything. So again he is sitting quiet, Amrita ask you want, I will give you liberation, whatever you want. You just say. So after much nudging, Amrita says, mother I need two banyans. So mother said, alright. And mother smiled, she knew the heart of the devotee, but people didn't understand. They said, mother is saying that she will grant you, she can grant you liberation. Why did you ask for two banyans after much cajoling? He said, you know what, I know that she will give me whatever is necessary for me. Whether I pray, I don't pray, she knows my heart, I have complete faith in the mother. So see, this is a stage which is greater than prayer. That there is complete faith and one knows there is such a surrender that whatever is needed will be done. Whatever is ex required will happen. This is a state of complete faith. Sri Aurobindo says that prayer changes into this kind of faith which forms a very much more living bond with the divine. That whatever is needed, the divine will do. So then people asked him, so why did you ask for two banyans then? He said, you know, maa ka maan rakhna hai. She is telling me you asked, so finally I took it that it is a command, so I must ask something. So I needed two banyans, so I told her, just to keep her, obey her command. So, 
we often when we think of prayer somehow we think that prayer is a means of fulfillment of desires but even the gita cautions us this is not the highest form of prayer there are several kinds of prayers and they form a hierarchy one prayer is the commonest one is that i have a desire and somebody who fulfills these desires and here shirbindu and the mother both caution us we should be very very careful because often we'll see advertisement of places where people go pray and the desires are granted in india there are all over the world there are spots which are called as mannat pura karne wala spot some people will go and they will tie a you know uh, some uh, thread or sometime they will try a chunni ka kapda something they will do and they believe that the desire is fulfilled and very often people believe that that's the place where the divine is but we should be very careful because a divine who is granting anything and everything that we desire we should be very careful that means either he is a very mechanical divine or he doesn't yet love us if he truly loves us once in a while at least he will say fool you are in ignorance what is it that you are asking do you know what it is going to do to you you know mother gives this example of this boy who wanted always to come uh you know pursue the divine life but his father kept on objecting to him and then once he prayed mother uh, i mean divine uh, god i want to be you know freed from this uh, you know my father torments me doesn't let me pursue the uh, spiritual life so his father fell sick so he was on deathbed so then he started praying what kind of a cruel being you are that you are you know my father is sick he is on deathbed so his father became all right the moment he became all right he started again stopping him so it is very important to understand that prayers which are only desire fulfilling prayer and a god who is fulfilling all our desires we should look thrice whether this is really a desire fulfilling god or some being of the vital world some being even of the hostile worlds because even asuras can grant things you see the story of nachiketa who is giving him boon yama and yama says i can give you this i can give you palaces and horses and cattle and wives and kingdoms so nachiketa says you are going to give me these things will you take them one day he says yes because they belong to the realm of transient then nachiketa says no no i don't want these things i want the boon of immortality teach me that secret which you know so now always when we ask for prayer and if if we hear that you know if you go to this place there are places where you have to just give uh, you know your uh, hairs and some wish will be fulfilled now when you go to divine and say i want to offer the hairs he is more likely to tell us that what will i do with your hairs offer your head now we will run away thinking that he is asking for too much but what he is asking he is asking for the ego give the ego to the divine and then we will no more carry this burden that we carry in our head ah, i wish i had this ah, i wish i had that what do we know so we are struggling in ignorance still the divine grants when we are in ignorance time to time he grants us the prayers but there is another kind now i'll come to this you know what about those who have abandoned themselves in the hands of divine but initially this is the relation we form and in our primitive state this is allowed but as we begin to evolve the divine also begins to change the rules of the game so as we begin to evolve he says look i am not only the giver of all wounds i am also the one who can snatch away things from you see this is the difference between the ordinary image of god who is granting all wounds which is sign of a primitive relation and another relation where we see like arjuna he manifest himself on the battlefield and he says look you know all your dear ones i am going to take away only just few of you will be left so this is another image of the divine and another kind of relation with the divine so as we evolve this also evolves yet there is one kind of prayer even in this lower realm which is always accessible to us and that is when we are in a state of utter distress i am sure all of us have had this uh, uh, you know experiences i have had in my life three four times when there was a state when it was like it's a question where you know one is completely perplexed what to do and that moment right from the depth of the heart something arises save me protect me help me and the help comes instantaneously so first prayer is artharthi where we are wanting the goods of the world second is arth where we are in a state of acute distress and when we are in a state of acute distress it is not the words that matter though prayer is normally you know conceived as something which takes the form of word sometimes just a cry of the being that's the story in the bhagavatam where 
um, the elephant, he is being caught by the crocodile and he just asks, calls in distress and Lord Vishnu appears. Now, the um, elephant has not been taught any prayer from the prayer book, but he is in distress and he prays to the uh, Lord of all creatures. He doesn't even know that there is a being like Vishnu. He doesn't even know what is his form. He has no mantra, nothing. And yet the intervention takes place. And it doesn't matter the intervention may take place in a human way. Sometimes we believe that prayer means something like a magical or miracle will happen. It may not. It may take a very seemingly human course. And yet it is prayer which has worked. Let's take an example. We had the recent pandemic. Now, we know that once one has the corona or any disease, there are several things which may happen. One extreme is quick recovery, another is death. Now, when we pray, what may happen? It's not that today I am sick and tomorrow I may be completely cured. I, though I have seen, you know, sometime back I have shared this story of a doctor in New York who prayed and when, you know, she had corona and uh, that night she had an amazing experience and within one night everything was dissolved and uh, you know the details of the experience because paucity of time I am not going into it but it can happen but more often than not what will happen is that we have prayed and the intervention has taken place but it may not take that magical miraculous course it may take the form of the body is beginning to feel the recovery the uh, the clouds in the mind where we were thinking, oh, I am going to die, they are taken away. The faith returns, the doctors just hit at the right medicines. Somehow or the other, everything takes place in a way that it looks natural. In fact, this is one of the things that Shurabindu and the mother both spoke about, the supramental action. Supramental action because it's a global action. It will act in a way as if it may look natural. For example, we are going for a surgery and we pray. So it doesn't mean that suddenly without surgery, we suddenly everything is okay. It may happen. But what is more likely is that the divine starts working in the doctor, in the medicine, in everything. And we find that the recovery has been very smooth. There have been no complications, which of course scientists may explain by saying that, well, this is how it is. Good success rate of the doctor. But every good doctor knows that the same medicine, the same everything, but some recover much better and some take long. Of course, there is a patient factor. One of the patient factor is faith and prayer. So, prayer acts in ways which are not always visible, tangible or seen by us. But then this is within the realm of the lower hemisphere. Now, is there a scope of prayer as we start journeying upward? Yes, there is the scope of prayer even more. Because now, prayer is a means by which we have come in contact with the divine. But now we are not happy only with the contact. We want to become one with the divine. That's what yoga is about. The difference between religion and yoga is that religion, a religious man is satisfied with being human. But he wants the divine to fulfill his, take care of all his family, his circumstances, his promotions, his children, his wife, husband, parent. This is what the average human being in a religious life prays for. But what is that prayer which a spiritual man prays for? He prays for release from this mesh of ignorance. No, she is the Bandhan Mukta. He prays for embodying those divine qualities which he looks up to. So this is, uh, the, the whole prayer changes its very sense and purpose. So as we go further and higher up, the nature of prayer changes. We have the story of Swami Vivekananda who was faced with a difficulty in his family life. I mean, his mother and sister, they were going through poverty and he prayed, asked Sri Ramakrishna that, can you please ask Mother Kali to help me? And he told, you can go in and ask her. She replies to everybody, she responds to everybody. So he goes there asking for help for the family and comes out and Sri Ramakrishna asked him, so, did you ask her? He says, no, I couldn't ask her. Go back again, you fool. So he goes back. Again he comes out. Did you ask her? No, I, you know, what? How can I ask her in front of her about family and all this? It looked too small. Go back again, you fool. So he goes back and third time he says, I could not ask. So what did you ask her for? I asked her for jnana, bhakti, vairagya. So this is where the prayer begins to change into a approach of yoga. So prayer has a role when we are struggling in ordinary life, in a religious life, but prayer has a greater role in spiritual life. There are beautiful entire prayers and meditations of the mother, we see that. And how beautifully one of her prayers is, Oh Lord, 
you know, there is an ardent aspiration to know thee. And why? To know thee so that we may serve thee better. So there is a prayer which evolves as human consciousness evolves. So from the prayer in the ordinary consciousness, it takes the form of a prayer at the, uh, you know, higher levels. So when we pray to the divine at higher levels, what happens to our everyday life? This is a question which people ask. That, okay, I am praying for Jnana Bhakti Vairagya, but who will take care of my everyday life? Now that's where we have the great assurance given by Sri Krishna in the Gita and confirmed by Sri In the synthesis of yoga, he speaks of this. And it is something testified by the experience of countless people all over the world. That when we sincerely abandon ourselves to the divine and we pray to him only for the growth, evolution, progress and divinization of our nature and consciousness to become one with him, then the divine says, okay, since you are taking care of this part, I am taking care of this part, I know that you also have a material life, I will take care of that. So this is where the exchange, so prayer is a means of interchange with the divine. So when we come in contact with the divine, we start interchanging our consciousness with the divine. So divine is not a mechanical divine who will say, oh, you asked for bhakti, jnana, vairagya, I am giving you this. What about my outer life? See, you didn't ask me. He will take care because he knows that life is an integral totality. We don't even have to ask him. And that's when, when somebody is constantly asking the divine for this, you know, progress in the inner life, for growth of consciousness, for purity, for peace, for true knowledge, for inspiration, for light, for love, for ananda, for union with the divine, for bhakti, avichalakhanda bhakti, for shraddha, which never shakes, for true devotion, for growth of surrender, everything, when one asks the divine, then the divine says, okay, fine, but now I have to take care of your entire life because now you have abandoned yourself to me. And that's when the rule of yoga, shame, vahamiham applies. So he will take care of outer life in a way that we cannot even imagine. This is a very beautiful, uh, one of the letters of Sri Bindu, to those who ask the divine for material things. The divine gives them all that they need. They have asked for it and they get it. But those who ask the divine for the sake of the divine, they pray to the divine because they want the divine, then the divine gives himself and also all that they would need for. So there is this kind of second level of prayer where we enter into the realm of the higher sphere. But of course it's a leap of faith because we can't say that, okay, this is very nice. I'll ask for inner purity, sincerity, growth of divine qualities. So he will take care of this. No, because now it's the mind which is at play. Prayer is a thing of the heart, it is not a thing of the mind. Mind tries to convince itself through proofs, counterproofs, argument, but heart abandons, it gives itself. It's like falling in love. So prayer is always a thing of the heart and it is nothing if there is no emotion along with it. It's, it's, it's the heart that gives wings to prayers. Otherwise a prayer which may be very beautiful, mentalized prayer because we have read it somewhere or because you know we like the... Uh, tone of the prayer, but it is not connected with the heart. Then it is like a painted bird, beautiful bird. One of my talks in Nairobi, I remember giving a talk to these captains of the industries and I didn't know, you know, what to speak to people who are not even interested in anything like the divine. They are all so much occupied with money. So I saw a love bird in a cage, a bird of paradise in a cage. And I said, you know, our life is like that, beautiful and uh, looks majestic, but it is artificial and false and it is in a prison. So that's where we have to understand that prayer is not something which I, I read from a book. Prayer has to be read from the book of the heart. When we are, you know, when we turn to the divine, how do we address him? Not because it's classically written in a book in a certain form. Yes, there may be beauty in it. When we say, Vakratund Mahakaya, Suri Koti Samaprabha, it's wonderful. But when I actually connect with Lord Ganesha, it may be very different. I love you, Ganesha, because you are such a cute child of the mother. He is likely to respond to that. Much more than when we have read a prayer and go in front of him like a very serious man who with the, all the noise and clamor is praying and everybody. He may feel amused for a while. But when the prayer comes from the heart, 
rises on a crest of emotion then he says here is the man who genuinely knows how to pray so prayer is something which must emerge from the heart but people that's why you see prayer doesn't find appeal in many people especially the intelligentsia why because the intellectual pride prayer is something of the heart and all our life in modern times we have been taught to suppress the heart the heart's emotions emotions topple you emotions are not good you know they come in the way they distract you so love very dangerous don't touch don't use this word so what what is important knowledge so knowledge through the left brain analytical knowledge so this is how civilization has evolved at least in the last few hundred years so what has happened as a result it had its meaning and purpose not going into it what has happened as a result this spontaneous prayer that can arise from the heart that we do not experience even prayer has become something mechanical where all children sit in a classroom and they are told okay now we are going to have a prayer <laughs> you know yeah, we know i studied in a convent school and we used to pray every day our father thou art in heaven thy will be done or something 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 and there was a very strange line which used to catch my attention i forgot in the whole prayer but one line used to sound very strange that forgive us our trespasses and sins as we forgive those who trespass against us so i used to wonder that you know am i an example i don't do it i don't even know what it means so we are setting an example to god that because i am doing it you do it everything has got forgotten but this trust my heart how can it be it should be the other way around that it is he that you have forgiven us therefore teach us how to forgive others so the point is that this kind of a mechanical thing may teach us to pray i don't know but the real thing is to learn to connect with creation from the heart to learn to connect with the creator from the heart and this is where we understand that prayer is one form that we can form relation with the divine see this idea that divine is not just some absolute abstract he is that to the thinker he comes like that try to think him out and you will write books and books on philosophies see all vedanta with all the advaita dvaita visishta dvaita and bheda ved and all kinds of philosophy and all the books on one side and see what happens when krishna comes <laughs> so <laughs> sarva dharman parityajya mamekam sharanam raja aham twa sarva papebhyo mokshishami masucha he comes and smiles he plays the flute it's see krishna who taught human beings how to love god before that we had this entire intellectual approach suddenly the heart was open and along with him came the gopis and the gopis to teach man how to love and that is the meaning of his exile in from vrindavan and shobindo says that krishna released the streams of bhakti from the heart so it's so important to understand this aspect that prayer is not something mechanical it is not something taught what prayer did gop and gopis do what prayer did sudama do what was the mantra that sudama received was he chanting a mantra which he received from a guruji and was sitting in the well and chanting all the time it came from his heart so prayer should rise from the heart on a crest of emotion and go to the very highest it should not be like the like the crow which can fly a little bit but it always eyeing on the little pound of flesh or the vulture who looks strong but he is eyeing on the pound of flesh it should be like the swan and it should not be like the parrot in a cage no no prayer means this is what i have been taught there is no other way you can pray you have to pray like this like some people you know when they come to samadhi it's quite a sight and mother has spoken about it so they come with a child and the child doesn't know he is full of wonder he is told you know mother and shurbindo and the child is happy just being around <laughs> so for him samadhi is and suddenly the parent looks child is looking here there they catch the head and bow it down to the samadhi bow down i am sure neither the child is happy nor the divine mother is happy to see this. so many stories of the divine mother of course he should not climb on the samadhi that's okay that's something which we need to understand about life but let there be a spontaneous relation with god prayer is a means to form a spontaneous relation with god higher another way we can form a relation is by faith by trust by surrender by aspiration the difference between aspiration and prayer is prayer invariably takes the form of certain words whereas asp- and it's addressed to a being there is nothing like a prayer to an impersonal reality so 
it happened once when you know I was uh, posted in Patiala and somebody, gentleman, he said, oh, where do you go to pray? They didn't know that, you know, we go for work and offering our services to the mother. So, oh, you go to pray. So, I kept quiet. I said, what is there? You know, I am going for work now, explaining all this, blah, blah, blah. Said, no, no, Amarat is very Our is very simple. We don't believe in all these rituals. We, you know, God is impersonal. I said, oh, but I see that you do go, go to the temple of God. I am not, uh, you know, specifying where. And you also bow down. And I have seen that you pray also. Whom do you pray then? So you see this, this kind of a double... Um, if you really follow that there is a God who is only impersonal, then what is this prayer? Now this is a need of human being. And God is not just impersonal. He is also personal and he is beyond the impersonal and personal. So if we want to look upon him as a absolute, then obviously our faith is not in a divine being who can succor us, who can heal us. It is only that the, there is no relation possible with an absolute non-being or an absolute parbrahman or an absolute who has got nothing to do with the world of relativities. Then there is no way that we can form a relation. So we must be very clear. I have seen people who don't believe in a divine being and yet they believe, you know, they will go and ask all kinds of things. But sometimes people play a game. They say, no, no, our God is not interested in all this. But they need things. So they also go to other places where they can get things or they need the, like the gods. <laughs> so we must understand that divine is a being. This is something very beautiful that Sri Aurobindo reveals. That divine is a being. Sri Krishna also reveals that. Of course, we have the idea of divine as a being even in the Vedas. But it's too huge a being, the Purush Suktam, when we read it, or Nasadiya Sutra, we don't know, you know, what kind of being he is. But Sri Krishna and Shurabindo bring him so close to us. He's a being who listens, he's a being who responds, he's a being with whom we can relate and connect. So this is the beauty of the divine as being. And I'm not going into the discussion whether divine is a being or not, but it logically stands to truth. But that if there is a supreme consciousness that is self-aware and aware of the entire existence, it's by its nature a being. Because who is self-aware? We can't say nothingness is self-aware. There is no self to be aware. And if there is only nothingness, there can be no creation emerging out of it. So, it's a logical impossibility that there is a supreme consciousness, but it is no being. So, it is a being. He is a being. We may call he, she, doesn't matter. And the mother has made it even simpler. She has come so close to us. She knows what is really in the heart of her children. So, when Divine Mother's advent, people don't realize that what she has done, she has brought that grace very close to us. This is a very interesting conversation where she says, you know, she is sharing this um, truth that, you know, Pavitra Dai had this Buddhist leanings and uh, great yogi. And she says that, you know, one day he tells me, now I know the secret. So what is the secret? You know, I was trying to connect with you going higher and higher, higher and all the planes. But then I realized you are here, right here, right within the heart. This is what she is saying. She is so close. But if we believe that she is far away, there are some people who take a great joy in describing, you know, beyond the human mind, there is higher mind, illumined mind, intuitive mind, over mind, super mind and all kinds of mind till they lose their own mind in trying to, you know. It's okay, fine. But she is right here, that which is beyond the super mind, that which is the origin of all things. She is Aditi, whom, who is there always in the heart of all creatures. Hasn't she said in one of her prayers, living in the heart of each atom, I kindle therein the fire, the fire that never burns out. So she is right here. And if we approach her with this idea that, her, or this faith that her presence is right here and pray to her, we need nothing else. It's, it's an instant connection. So when she has taken a human body, she has brought this, Truth, which is either hidden deep inside us or, you know, which is high above, you know. When we read Savitri, where is our home of truth? Can we even imagine? Ashupati, after all the yoga reaches there where no soul can go. And he reaches there and, you know, the ages are the footfall of a tread. Can we really reach her there? But then she became human. And by doing it, she brought into play upon earth the grace and the love.
so by taking a human form the mother made it so much more possible for us to receive the grace everything became so much accessible to all of us so this is where the whole uh, prayer is i'll close with because paucity of time i'll close it with uh, this uh, little passage from the synthesis of yoga where shubhendra speaks about the efficacy of prayer and then he says something very interesting that prayer is a means of forming relation with the divine you see this is so wonderful that we can make a relation with the divine we don't have to only look upon him as an abstract something we meditate and go there he is ready to lend a hand in fact he lends a hand but because we have a conception that no 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 divine how can he become human and lend a hand he can become everything ha- have you not read in the dashavatar that he becomes bird and beast and stone and fish and everything so if that is so he can become human he can become human like so that we can become like the divine and he can lend a hand and when he takes a human form like you know in the story of the avatars then it becomes even more easier because someone who is so inaccessible yes he is a being but we want a visual representation of the being we can't imagine a being but then when he takes a human body in the form of christ krishna buddha do buddha Uh, people say that you know he didn't anatmavad nastik uh, path but buddha himself said buddham sharanam gachami sangham sharanam gachami dharmam sharanam gachami and the form of mother and shri bindo and shri krishna they make it so much easier because then it, through that form it becomes a gateway so it becomes very easy for us to stand before a picture of the mother and simply say ma i need this rather than going within and trying to conceive a conceive her as a some kind of a presence inside yes we can do it but she has made it even simpler by taking a human form so when we worship the human form when we pray before the human form before a picture shurbinda has said that i she is there fully in her pictures it's been there in shurbinda's writings so she is there in the picture so when we bow down before her when we bow at her feet either to pray as an offering of gratitude a prayer of gratitude or a prayer of self giving or a prayer of opening ourselves completely to her or a prayer of dedicating ourselves to her or a prayer of asking her for all that we need or even desire she says be clear what we need that she is there listening to us and as in the beginning we were told when she was asked mother is it true that all the prayer that we ask you do you really listen is there somebody out there who listens the mother says yes my child not only i listen something very beautiful with which we can come to this she says not only i listen i am with you and with those whom i have said yes those who are connected to me through the teaching of shurbindo those who have turned to shurbindo and the mother she puts within us an emanation of herself it wants us even before we have prayed so she has made a step closer it's not easy to you know when we turn to a guru guru is not only giving us mantra that's a kind of guru who give us mantra and leave us to our own efforts but not with mother and shurbindo that's why it's not easy to turn to them when she sanctions but when we have turned to her then at, and she has sanctioned it then she puts a little emanation which is nothing else but herself in a miniature form of divinity and every time we are going through a difficulty a challenge a crisis she knows it before we know it and she arranges everything outward circumstances sometimes we have to go through it because that's a learning process but she is with us through that process so she says my child when you sing i do not stand on the shore i sing with you she says when i say i am with you it is not just a phrase i am with you because i am you she becomes us so this wonder of wonders so very often people say oh mother is okay but ultimately it is the mother within they create this kind of i, I don't understand this kind of purely ego based mother is within so outside outside mother no no it is only a crutch for the they don't understand the mystery of the avatar it's not like inner mother and outer mother it's the one mother but when she takes an outer form the same mother it becomes so much easier for us of course she will not tell anything if you want to approach her inwardly she will say okay my child go through that process
And Shubhinda said, beware of this kind of a hostile illusion that creates a division between the inner mother and the outer mother. There is one mother. There are not two mothers. And that one mother, when she takes a human's body, it makes it so much easier for us to approach and so much easier for us to act. Because that means she has come within the range. She is right there. On the field, on the ground, right next to us. Her influence pervading on the entire material world. So it makes it so much easier for us to approach her through her pictures, through her touch, through sometimes something she has signed. All these are ways and means. But most characteristically through her photographs and pictures, their photographs and pictures. So this is how we have to understand prayer, the whole hierarchy. And finally all this to form a relation with the divine. This passage which I want to read out. The relations which arise out of this attitude toward the divine prayer. We can again have different attitudes toward the divine is one. But am I approaching him as a father, as a mother, as a friend, as a playmate? Or that of the divine father and the mother with the child and that of the divine friend. To the divine as these things the human soul comes for help, for protection, for guidance, for fruition. Or if knowledge be the aim to the guide, teacher, giver of light, for the divine is the son of knowledge. Or it comes in pain and suffering for relief and solace and deliverance. It may be deliverance either from the suffering itself or from the world existence which is the habitat of the suffering, habitat of the suffering or from all its inner and real causes. All these things for which we can approach her. In these things we find there is a certain gradation. For the relation of fatherhood is always less close. Abba, father, Shubhinda said, I am not very comfortable, you know, people approaching me as a father. Fathers, you know, people only approach when they need money or when they are in trouble. Then they call their father, please help me. Otherwise, father is somebody little, you know, he doesn't intervene in our daily affairs. So he says, it's a little father. Father. <laughs> it is less close intense, passionate, intimate and therefore it is less resorted to in the yoga which seeks for the closest union. That of the divine friend is a thing sweeter and more intimate, admits of mutual, admits of an equality and intimacy even in inequality and the beginning of mutual self-giving. Divine has given his friendship but that doesn't mean that we are, you know, Arjuna puts his arms around Krishna and walks. But that doesn't mean Krishna is still Krishna and Arjuna is Arjuna. But he plays it, okay, fine, I have given my friendship. But it's an intimacy. They're exploits together. He plays with us. At its closest, when all idea of other giving and taking disappears, when this relation becomes motiveless, except for the one sole all-sufficing motive of love, so, if we take divine as a friend, then what happens? A time comes when you just want the friend to be near. You ask, why do you want him? No, 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 I just want you to be there. It's not that I want this from you or that from you, because we all know that is not friendship anymore. It's a business. But the highest kind of friendship is where one cherishes and enjoys the company of the friend. Just the friend is nearby, that's all. Sometimes you may share things, sometimes you may say things. But the presence of the friend is enough. It turns into the free and happy relation of the playmate in the Leela of existence. But closer and more intimate still is the relation of the mother and the child. And that therefore plays a very large part wherever the religious impulse is most richly fervent and springs most warmly from the heart of man. So even with friend, it's like, you know, all the time you're not really with the friend. And while friend knows your secrets, but it's only the mother who has seen you in utter nudity. And she can deal with you whatever way she wants to deal. She alone has the birthright to give us a scrub. Friend will at the most say, okay, take a bath, you know, you're smelling. But the mother will say, come, I'll give you a bath. So that is the difference between the two. And so he says, the soul goes to the mother's soul in all its desires and troubles. And the Divine Mother wishes that it should be so. So people ask, Mother, is it okay to pray for this, to pray for that? She says, yes, I am here for that. 
Mothers are not happy if the child asks for nothing. Imagine a child coming home and saying, Okay, I'll make whatever I want to, I'll eat. So mother will feel jobless. She loves it if the child says, Mama, I want you to make this. That's when she can pour her heart of love. So, you know, to go to the mother and just, you know, do a pranam and come back. She will say, what kind of a child is this? <laughs> he doesn't want to connect to me. So, because she wants to pour herself. So that she may pour out her heart of love. There is a great joy in giving love. Which the mother experiences. It may be for the highest. But when we pray to her, we form a bond. And she wants to pour her heart of love. It turns to her too because of the self-existent nature of this love. And because that points us to the home towards which we turn from our wanderings in the world and to the bosom in which we find our rest. When we have gone through the world and everything we have seen and we realize nothing, we want to go to our true home. Who will tell us the true home? The mother comes. She says, come my child, I'll take you to the home, there where you truly belong. Where is my home? I know it because you have, I'm the one who has given you birth. I have created you. So come with me. And this is the culmination. There is one more relation which goes beyond it. Shurabindu says the highest, a complete motiveless. And that is the relation of the lover and beloved with the divine. So these are the gradations of prayer. Prayer is a form used in Bhakti Yoga primarily. Also in Karmi Yoga. But primarily in Bhakti Yoga. In Shurabindu's Yoga, it forms a very, very, it's an integral part of the entire process and we see that in in the mother's prayers and meditation so only thing is we should not live only with the ideas and turn it into a supramental philosophy but also in a living active dynamic contact with the divine mother who alone holds the secret as Shurabindu says of liberating us from this net of ignorance giving us all that we need for our journey material as well as our inner journey and ultimately the intended transformation which he has already willed for us. Thank you. Namaste. So we can have some questions. Uh, thank you, Bhai. Um, so there is this question which says that, Sir, when the Divine has already planned and give us, gives us what we deserve, then isn't it better that we humans focus on how to just connect with him through meditation. As you mentioned, we don't have to ask him for anything. Though meditation is not very easy when the mind is restless, how do we bring the mind to rest? Right. So the question is about that, you know, since the divine has already decided to give us whatever we not deserve is not the thing, but need in the journey. So, why not we simply connect with him in meditation? There are two assumptions here which we need to correct. First is, if we take it that he will give us whatever we need, then the joy of relation, the joy of the journey is missed out. You see, when Sri Krishna tells to Arjuna, says, you know, tapasvis also go their way, purely by their effort. But he says, you know what they miss? The delight of the journey. So, at the end, they will also arrive. The second problem is because we have not learned to form a relation with the divine. Therefore, when there is a sudden distress or sudden problem, then we will not know how to really approach the divine. The journey is not as easy as we think. Even for expert meditators, I wish, we all wish it was so simple that we sit in meditation and realize the divine. But between our surface consciousness and the inmost, there are planes and layers and meshes and you know, the haunts of ignorance, the liars of evil, waiting for the soul to pounce upon. This is a very, you know, uh, nice um, thought that we sit in meditation and we realize the divine. Ask of those who have gone through the journey. Yes, a real sincere tapasvi can cut all these meshes by his effort, always aided by the divine behind. He may not uh, believe that it's like somebody like Buddha. People often say, Shravindu's meditation and method, you know, why don't we shut ourselves and do it? Do it. 24 years he didn't step out of the room. His first meal sometimes was 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Shravindu didn't even say, where is my meal? 8 hours he was walking up and down. Let's do it then. Can we do it? Well, let's understand our limitations. Somebody can do it very good. 
The second assumption is, which is a very fallacious assumption, which is born more of the, you know, recent commercialization of yoga, that yoga is about meditation. Meditation is one of the methods and not the easiest one for yoga. Even if we go back to the entire spiritual history of spiritual evolution, meditation is not the only way. There is bhakti. In bhakti, what is the meditation? It is love. This karma, where entire dedication of works with a nishkam way, Shobinda himself has said, not all are uh, asked upon to meditate. One can have the same realization. Even Shobinda was asked, can we have the Satchidananda realization through works alone? And he says, good Lord, what have I been saying? And then he says, in my own life, I had it like that. So this is a big, uh, you know, because in modern times, everybody wants to learn a technique and everybody wants to teach a technique which brings big money. So you can't teach a technique of love. Though even there, you know, people have started, you know, bhakti in this way and that way. So bhakti you can't. Then again, motiveless uh, service to the divine, it's not something to be taught. It's an attitude to be inculcated. So where do we get the, you know, <laughs> money for running the show? Teach meditation and a technique. And so we are all in that process. Meditation is spontaneous. When we love somebody, we meditate naturally. We don't have to sit and meditate. Meditation is most easy when the mind is concentrated all the time in some kind of relationship with the divine. Imagine walking with the divine as friend. Do we really need to meditate? Imagine if we are walking with Krishna, or with the divine mother, all the time she is holding our hand. How odd it will look if we tell, Mother, actually, you know, now it's my meditation time, six o'clock, you know, half an hour I want to meditate. Oh, my child, you want to meditate? Yes, Mother, I want to close my eyes and go within. She'll say, okay, do it. <laughs> She'll feel amused. There's a story of Amal Kiran, no, when people would sit in front of Mother, some on the right, some on the left, one right opposite. Amal Kiran writes, so with this touch of humor, he would often draw a diagram of people, you know, uh, and even with very good comments. So, you know, he had that Purani ji with a short neck wrestler, no? And while meditating, he would do like this and Amal Kiran would say, undermined by the overmind. <laughs> like that. So, at one point, somebody asked him, you are opening your eyes and looking at Mother. He says, yes, he's here. Why would I go inside and, you know, search her? <laughs> when the divine is right in front of you. So, we can do this process, meditation, to find the divine who is there as a being, who will anyways give us what we need. That's what I am saying. The mother wants to pour her heart. This is the interchange. So much easier. When we give and we receive, we may not give with the idea of receiving, but when we receive spontaneously, because when we give, there is a space which is created. So when we receive from the divine, then there is a mystic interchange. And that's what helps in the journey. She pours her love. It's not an object that she gives, but her love. So yes, of course, we need not ask for these things, but we can always ask her for higher things. For instance, meditation. Somebody wants to follow a path of meditation. He can ask mother, mother, I am praying, I am sitting for meditation. Mother, I can't meditate. My mind is too restless. Help me to meditate. Ma, I want to read Shurabindu's Life Divine. But whoever I have heard... Life, divine, Savitri, everything, it appears even more complicated. But mother, you are the source of everything. Teach me how to understand the life, divine, Savitri and synthesis of yoga. We can pray for that. When we sit quietly, mind is restless. Mother, make my mind quiet. So, prayer need not be only for everyday need. It can go right up to the highest in meditation. We can meet a roadblock. There are people, even expert meditators, who reach a point and they cannot go beyond. They don't know what to do next. They are doing, concentrating with all their ardent aspiration. But there is something which is like a block. It may be a set of subconscious mechanical thoughts which are rising up and going down. Or it can be just that they are not able to pierce beyond the certain limits. So what does one do? Ma, Bandhan Mukta, free me from, from my own shackles. So prayer is a way of life, a way of yoga, way of sadhana. At least in the integral yoga, it is very much there. Of course, those who want to meditate, go by their own effort. Nothing wrong with that. It's a valid path. But we must know what we are signing in for. It's not as easy as, you know, sitting in meditation and finding God. <laughs> Buddha tried so much 
people have given their lives, abandoned everything. It's not easy. Some can, probably one in million. But most, and it's yet, it's an incomplete thing. Because when we go through meditation alone and find God, He appears as He would to a meditating monk. Not in His, that aspect, where He is personal, supra-personal, infinite personality. So we'll still, even when we find Him, we'll miss out on something fundamental. We will experience deep peace, even a silence and stillness. But we will miss the heart of, you know, as Shobindu says in his poem, uh, Krishna, the one in critics, where he says so beautifully, Vain lies space and time, crying, I, I alone. One is there, heart of space, fount of time, he alone sits sublime. All he loves, all he moves, all are his, all is he. And he describes him so beautifully. He says, hands that hold and clasp, red lips that kiss and blow the flute. So it's a joy of forming a relation. Forget about finding God. It's also the joy of the journey with God is our eternal companion. It's so beautiful. And it makes the paths shorter, more delightful and the end also much more complete. Namaste. So there's one more question which even I had asked you before was, uh, that um, you brought this concept of surrender and it is so difficult. How do we surrender? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, we are surrendered. How do we surrender? Yes, we are surrendered, but we are surrendered normally to the ego and desires. So now we have to shift the motive force first. So as long as our motive force is not shifted, surrender is very difficult. Because we are all the time, our motive is worldly uh, gains. So as long as we have that, true surrender cannot come. We can have prayer, we can ask, but the surrender has not taken place. Because true surrender means now my life, my destiny, everything is in your hands. I am here only to obey your command, which is obviously difficult. So it doesn't matter, shift the goal of life, all else will follow. As long as the goal of life is ultimately worldly good, surrender can never take place completely. There will be a talk of surrender. So the first thing Shurabindu says in the synthesis is, shift the motive. What is the motive of my life? What is the aim of life? Even yoga. What is my aim for the yoga? Is it to gain power? Is it to help humanity? Is it to be called a yogi, etc., etc.? If any of these aims are there, we will not be able to surrender. So aim should be the divine for the sake of the divine, for the joy of the divine. Doesn't matter what we'll get or not get. When we love him for the sake of himself, then surrender takes root. Now, yes, it is difficult because we are not straight away in that stage. So what to do? We should read. When we read, these thoughts will automatically come to us to love the divine for the sake of the divine. We should be in the company of those. That's why, you know, it was enjoined earlier also and even in Shubhinda's yoga, you know, all life is yoga. doesn't mean that we just uh, uh, party along and we'll reach the divine. No, it won't happen. Because the company of the worldly minded, not the worldly people, there is a difference between worldly people and the worldly minded. One may live in the ashram and be worldly minded. One may live in the world and be spiritual minded. So the company of people who are worldly minded, who are only seeking material goods, will all the time enter into us and will throw all these very suggestions. So we should avoid the company of those who are worldly minded and seek the company of those who are spiritually oriented. Then automatically we will see because of our contact with them through a contagion, as it were, we will automatically, the spirit of surrender and faith will automatically enter into our heart and our being. This is the simplest way. So the value of satsang, the value of reading, the value of understanding truly, all this comes into the play. And then we should be ready if wherever we are, this is the journey. Even in the beginning it is a feeble thing that Lord I want to be one with you. But it is like oh that is too much. Basically, now I want to enjoy life. Doesn't matter. Ultimately, because even feebly we have mentioned it, that feeble little flame will grow more and more, before which all else will dissolve. Shubhinto gives this example of Saint Augustine, Jagai and Magai, Ratnakar, Valmiki. So, Augustine, the profligate, and how he would pray, Lord, I want chastity, but not yet. <laughs> and yet, 
he became one of the greatest apostles when you read his prayers when you read his experiences they are clear cut psychic uh, revelations so he wanted but he also wanted something else and eventually he said doesn't matter same with girish ghosh he wanted to lead a worldly life he told shri ramakrishna i can't do all this you know that you are uh, he was a, in the drama he would drink he would have all the so called vices but he had a fondness for shri ramakrishna he said i love you but i can't do this yoga etc so shri ramakrishna gave him a simple advice doesn't matter whatever you are doing wherever you are going just you remember and offer to me he said okay that simple yeah krishna's advice after one week he says what kind of advice you have given me now i can't do what i was doing earlier i can't enjoy what how can i offer you drinks and all this <laughs> so this is the approach that as i said in the beginning we won't be able to surrender still form a relation with god he takes note that we are trying to connect with him and slowly he will start giving us all the worldly things because we are not ready for the surrender we are only praying with some faith that things will be but one day he will say chalo ho gaya bahut come and then we will say but where come now i you are mine are you or are you not we will say yeah because you know you are all the time satisfying my bones so trust me by then our trust is developed and then he suddenly takes us by the hand pulls us out of that entire net and we are completely his or hers so it is a process a stage and wherever we are we should keep moving one day it will happen that we'll be able to completely surrender so but avoid the company of those who are worldly minded that's the whole idea of you know creating an ashram so that we can have an atmosphere which helps uh, breed this faith and surrender inside human beings so that was the purpose yes i can't even thank you now today <laughs> with all these i mean i think one question has been my question has been answered and at least it has given me a direction so uh whether we talk about shabri's love or a mother's love just keeping mother in our consciousness all the time she is there becoming conscious about her and continuing with our journey with thank that you. Thank, thank you thank you thank you